You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. You turn with me in your Bible this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's Gospel, chapter 6. Father, I thank you this morning the opportunity to open your word. Father, I pray as we dive into your word, I pray that you would speak. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would hover in this place. I thank you that you're not a God who just sees the crowd, but you see the individuals in the crowd. And I pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts. Our hearts, God, because I want you to speak to mine too. I don't want to just stand up here giving a dialogue, but Father, I, a, a, a monologue, sorry, but God, I want you to speak to me as well. I pray you'd speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. John 6. John 6 opens with the story of the feeding the 5,000. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Jesus' fame, who he was, was starting to climb and it was starting to extend. People were coming from all over the place to see Jesus, to find out what all this hoo-ha was all about. This, this guy from Galilee who was walking around healing the sick, um, healing the demon-possessed, and this crowd was building. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. A Jewish Passover was near. Then Jesus looked up and saw a crowd coming toward him. And he said, Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And it wasn't just a matter of Philip ducking down to the latest dominoes on two for Tuesday and buying enough pizzas to be able to feed the crowd. And I'm pretty sure it would take a heck of a lot of family feasts from KFC to do it. But Jesus looks at Philip and says, how are we going to feed this crowd? He asks his only to test him. Philip answered, it'd take more than half a year's wages to feed this crowd. But Andrew had been scoping out the crowd and said to Jesus, I found this little boy. This little boy has got his lunch. He's got five loaves and two fish. Jesus said, bring it, bring it to me. So they brought these five loaves and the two fish to Jesus. You know the story. Two fish to Jesus. And he blessed it and gave it to the disciples to distribute. And in that moment, a crowd of 5,000 men. Just remember that. The crowd of 5,000 wasn't men, women, and children. We're talking about a crowd of 5,000 men. So it doesn't even account for all the ladies that were there or all the children that were there. But 5,000 men ate. It said, when they had all had... No, verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So this crowd has had this incredible feast. 
during the night as the story goes on. Jesus walks on water, meets his disciples. But the crowd wake up the next morning because they've camped out where Jesus was when he fed them. They wake up to find that he's gone. And they go searching for him. I wonder how many people woke up the next morning and said, gosh, that meal was good last night. Watch Jesus got on the menu this morning. As it goes on, it says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. See, Jesus wasn't, wasn't fooled by why the crowd had come looking for him. You're not, you're not coming to see me because of what I'm teaching or because of the signs and wonders. You had a good feast last night and you were full and you've come looking for more. In this moment, Jesus decides to shut down the all-you-can-eat buffet. As the story goes on, Jesus starts talking about the food, the bread from heaven. And the people are going, yes, give me this bread, give me this bread. But to their surprise and their amazement, Jesus turns around and says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Suddenly, Jesus was the only thing on the menu. The buffet had closed. In that moment, Jesus didn't try to keep them by performing another miracle. But he said, I am the bread of life. In that moment, the crowd had a decision to make. Am I going to be satisfied with just Jesus? Or will I be disappointed that it's only Jesus? Will I be satisfied with just Jesus or disappointed that it's only Jesus? John 6 and verse 66 says, And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. From that moment, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I want to ask you this morning, in the time that we have together, are you more interested in Jesus? Or are you more interested in the blessings? Are you hungry for God? Or are you hungry for what God can give you? Because in this moment, these people had had their fill. They'd eaten of the bread. They were hungry for more. Well, this is great. But Jesus said, no, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. But will we walk away disappointed when we find that all there is, is Jesus? I wonder how many of us, our Christian walk and our relationship with God is simply built on what I can get from God. 
what I can get from God, the blessings and the abundance and the fruitfulness that we actually forget about God himself. We forget about Jesus. We forget about Jesus where he says, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me will be satisfied. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. That's the bread that he offers. But do we have our eyes only on what he can give us rather than who he is? I tell you what, we don't see a church who just have their eyes on God's wallet, eyes on God's bank account. But we see a church who are hungry for God, for who he is. You know, I've had the honor and the privilege of being married to my wife for seven and a half years. Seven and a half years. It's not overly long. Two children, another one on the way in March. With marriage comes privileges. But how do you think my wife would feel if the only time I wanted something from her was the only time I communicated with her, the only time that I pursued her? How do you think she would feel? I think she'd feel used. I think she'd feel unloved. But that's how sometimes we can treat God. We can just come to God with our list. Come to God with our, with our wants. God, where's the blessing in my life? But sometimes we've got to take our eyes off the blessing. We've got to take our eyes off the healing and put them on the blesser and put them on the healer. You know, there's nothing wrong with blessing. I'm not anti-blessing, that's for sure. But I think so many times we have it in the wrong order. Where the genius is in the order. Genius is in there. It's not the blessing and then Jesus. It's Jesus and then the blessing. We heard last week out of Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. But you know what? So often we are so focused on chasing the goodness and the mercy that we forget to follow the shepherd. The blessing, the goodness and the mercy is the byproduct of following the shepherd, of getting to know the shepherd. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all of these things will be added to you. But we've got our focus and our prayer list focusing on all the things that will be added to us without first seeking the kingdom of heaven. Without first seeking God and who He is. You know, in the role that I have here at church, it can be so easy to slip into the box of professional Christianity. Oh, it's what I do. It's what I do for a living. It's, it's, I work for the church full time. But I tell you what, I've got to be so careful that my relationship with God isn't just based on a work relationship. Well, I think, well, 
Shouldn't that be easy? I tell you what, when you get in the moment and you've got to pull it all together, we can get so focused on the things we do for God that we lose sight of the person that we're doing it for. And we can mistake that intimacy with him by getting busy doing his work. But I've got to work out in my mind and remind myself that the opportunities that I am given flow from my relationship with God. It's not about the opportunity. If I chase the opportunities and I, and, and, and I chase what I, what, what I get to do and I forget about God, am I chasing the opportunities or the one who gives the opportunities? We can fall in this place of being focused on the stuff, what we get. And in our consumer-driven society, it can be a very easy thing to do. It can be very easy to think, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? I read a very interesting tweet the other day. This quote, this guy said, tell you what, it said, if you don't give and you don't serve, it's not your church, it's your show. Hashtag bring your popcorn. That's what, that's what it was, it was a quote. It said, if you don't give and you don't serve, it's not your church, it's your show. I wonder how many of us just come for the show, come to consume. We come to consume this bread and we're chasing God and we're hungry and we get our full on the blessing that he gives. And all of a sudden we're hungry again and we're chasing after another blessing. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The problem is not the blessing. The problem is not the blessing. It's the order in which we put them. It's the order in which we put them. And I wonder how many of us have built our Christian life, the foundation of our Christian walk on what God will do for me, the blessings that he's going to give me. Luke 6 talks about the wise and the foolish builders. The wise man dug down deep, dug down deep and lay the foundation on the rock so that when, the, when the, the storm and the tempest came, it stood solid. But if our foundation is built on the sand or it's built on the surface, the storm comes and it gets blown away. It crumbles because it's built on the wrong stuff. Our our. Christian walk in our relationship with God has to be built on what he's already done and our love for Jesus. I want to chat to you this morning about some signs that you're interested more in Jesus for what you can get than being satisfied with only Jesus. Just a few signs. And the first one is Our gratitude is circumstantial. Our gratitude is circumstantial. That our sense of gratitude is based on how I feel right now. Whether I feel God's moving in my life, whether I feel like I'm getting the blessings that I am owed or the blessings that I am due. It's like tithing. I was thinking about it yesterday. 
tithing once and throwing your hands up in the air and saying it doesn't work is like starting a diet on Monday and giving up on Tuesday because you didn't lose weight. That's the bottom line. It's like giving up on Tuesday because you didn't lose weight. But you see the guy who dug down and lay his foundation on the rock. I tell you what, in that time of digging down, you get worn out. In the time of digging down, you get dirty. It saps your energy and you're probably wondering why you're doing it. But in those moments, you're laying a foundation. A foundation that will never be moved, that will never be shaken no matter what it is that comes against us. But if our foundation is built on, I'm coming to God because God's going to bless me. We've got it all wrong. We've got, I love that verse in Ephesians 3 that said, and to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, think or imagine. Absolutely. It's a fantastic verse, but let's not lose sight of the God that that passage is actually talking about. Our gratitude is circumstantial. Two verses in Colossians that have really been, um, really been speaking to me over the last few months is in Colossians 2 verses 6 and 7. It says, So therefore, having received Christ, continue to walk in Him, continue to live in Him, being rooted, established, being built up in the faith, overflowing with thankfulness. Overflowing with thankfulness. Colossians 3 in the message, it says, cultivate thankfulness. Cultivate thankfulness. Yeah, you might be here this morning thinking, look, I, I haven't got a great deal to be thankful for. I, got, I can't see God moving in my life. What, where's my blessing? In view of the cross. In view of the cross. It all comes back to our view of the cross. And it is so critical as Christians that we can see the cross clearly. The cross on which he died that makes us forever grateful for what he's done for us. When we look at every situation through the lens of the cross, our first response has to be gratitude. When we think about what he's done for us, what he went through, what, what, what he did on the cross, our gratitude should overflow. It should overflow. And this morning, if, if, if you're sitting here going, well, yeah, I know what Jesus did on the cross. Maybe you're living on an old, stale, scungy piece of bread. The bread of life that you once ate of they gave you your revelation of the cross, but your last revelation of the cross was 20 years ago. One of the prayers that I pray most consistently in my own life is God, show me the cross again. Show me the cross again. Show me what you went through for me because the cross fuels our response. It fuels my response. When I can truly see the cross, when I can truly see what he's done for me, Forgiveness isn't an issue. I don't hold on to bitterness and I don't hold on to resentment. I don't hold on to unforgiveness because in view of the cross, 
when the prayers that I've been praying and God doesn't appear to be coming through for me, if I look through the lens of the cross, I still have something to be grateful for. I still have something to praise Him for. But to cultivate thankfulness, cultivate, it's an agricultural term. Cultivate, feed it, water it, plant it. Nourish it within your life, within your heart. If your gratitude is circumstantial, I think your eyes may be more on God's wallet than on his face. The second thing, the consistent focus of our prayer time and our prayer list. The consistent focus. I'm not talking about those one-off moments where where you're, you're bringing your petitions before God. But if that is what makes up the majority of your prayer time every day, every week, every month, is your list of requests and your list of wants, perhaps your eyes are on Jesus' hands and not on his face. God, I want a new car. God, I I need a new house. I need a renovation on my bathroom. God, I need a new job. God, I I need you to come through with me. I I, I need a wife. I, I need a husband. I need someone to be with. If that's what your prayer list is driven out of, what you want to get from God, our eyes are in the wrong place and our focus is wrong. Our focus is wrong. We've just got it in the wrong order because I know the God that I serve, the God that I worship wants to pour blessing and abundance into your life, but He wants your heart first. He wants your heart first. I know my God is able to provide, um, is able to provide your needs according to His riches in glory. Absolutely. I'm not questioning that. But where's our attention? Where's our focus? Maybe, just maybe, if you have your time with God later today or even as you're leaving and you're driving home or as you wake up tomorrow morning, why don't you start your day with thanksgiving? Start your day with gratitude. Start your day with praise and worship to Him for who He is. Be thankful for the blessings that He has already poured into your life. Thank Him daily, more than once for Jesus and what He did on the cross for us. Pray, ask God to reveal the cross to you more clearly. But if your prayer list is just your list of wants, your list of needs, and that's all it is, I think your focus is on His hands and not His face. The consistency of our walk with God. Number three, the consistency of our walk with God. Does your relationship with God only flourish when things are going good for you? Do you only want to connect with God, worship and read the word and pray and come to church and connect with other Christians and um, gather together? if it's only based on when things are going right in your life? Yep, God's good, life's good. But all of a sudden something happens. Consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of many kinds, many kinds. But once one of those trials of many kinds comes, you think, oh, God doesn't love me anymore. 
Are you only here? Are you only connected with him? Are you only seeking his face when things are going well? Maybe you're at the other end of the scale and you only seek God and pursue him when things are going really bad in your life, when it's all pear-shaped and you're going, God, I, I need you. But after a couple of weeks or a couple of months, you, you manage to get back up on your feet and all of a sudden it's like, God, I got this. I got this. I'm good. I'm good. I can do this. But the consistency of our walk with God can highlight where our focus is. Where our focus is. Is it on his face? Or is it on his hands and what he can do? The fourth thing is our motivation. Signs we're interested more in Jesus for what we can get than being satisfied with only him. Number one, our gratitude is circumstantial. Number two, the consistent focus of our prayer time and prayer list. Number three, the consistency of our walk with God. Number four, our motivations. Our motivations. Our motivation, why we give. Why we give. We only give because, well, God, your word says if I give to you, you're going to give it back to me and you're going to bless me and you're going to open the floodgates of heaven. Absolutely. I agree. That's a great promise. And I tell you what, I'm holding on to that, to that one. But if our motivation is purely, God, I'm given because I know I'm going to get it back. God hasn't got your heart. It's an ulterior motive. It's an ulterior. When you read the word, our motivation to read the word is just to gain more knowledge or so we can tick a box on a reading plan or so we can share our new greatest revelation with someone and show them how spiritual we are. What's our motive? Seeking to get in. What I, what I do at church when I sit down and I spend time to read my Bible, God forbid that I would be a pastor who just reads the word when I've got to preach. My goodness. What's the motivation? Our motivation gives us a very clear indication of where our focus is. Back in 2004, at the Athens Olympic Games, Matt Emmons was competing in the three-position rifle shooting. So the three-position rifle shooting was he does one standing up, he does one laying down, does one crouching, or something like that. I mean, I'm not really into rifle shooting. But this guy was absolutely killing it on the field. He was killing it. He, he was by far leading this event. He was a shoe-in for the gold medal. A shoe-in. He lines up to take his last shot. All he's got to do is hit the target. Just hit the target. Doesn't have to get a bullseye. Hit the target and it was going to be enough. Enough for him to take the gold medal. He lines up his shot. It's the target. But you see, he was standing in lane two 
and hit the target in lane three. He plummeted from first to eighth. He was clear first. He had to hit his own target. And he was a shoe in for the gold medal, but click, bang, hits the target, but it's the wrong target. His attention was on the wrong thing. His attention was on the wrong thing. And I wonder how many of us, our focus and our attention is on the wrong thing. It's on the wrong thing. We think we've lined it all up. But we just don't realize that we're aiming at the wrong target. We're aiming at the wrong target. We need a shift in focus. We need a reorientation to the cross. And we've got to get the order right. We've got to get the order right. Seek first the kingdom and these things will be added to you. The Lord is my shepherd. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you. But we're so busy chasing the goodness and the mercy. So busy chasing the goodness and the mercy, whereas the ease with which the goodness and the mercy will chase us and hunt us down like was preached last Sunday morning. When our eyes are on the shepherd, when our eyes are on the one who gave it all, the one who gave it all. Would you come with me as I bring this to a close to Psalm 16? Psalm 16. It's a psalm that God has spoken to me a number of times from. The Psalm 16, it says, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. Coming down to verse five, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. Lord, you alone, you alone are my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. Verse eight, I have set the Lord always before me. I've set the Lord always before me. It's never too late to reorientate your focus. It is never too late. I love that about our God, that nothing is too far gone. Nothing has gone too far that He can't redeem, that He can't restore. I've set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. When the bills come piling in, 
He's at my right hand. I won't be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's got to be Jesus first. It's got to be Him first. We're not a church that is built on chasing the blessing. We chase the shepherd and we know the blessing chases us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Maybe you're here this morning your eyes have been on the wrong thing you haven't got the order right maybe you're aiming at the wrong target but I want you to know right now the God that we are worshipping the God that we're talking about the God that we're praising the God who is here with us He's not angry He's not looking down on you He's not looking down on you, shaking his finger and going. But he's looking down on you with eyes filled with love. Longing for you to lift your eyes and put them on him, his face, his face. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry. He who comes will never be thirsty. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you've never tasted of this bread. Maybe you've never experienced Jesus. You don't know what it means to even follow the shepherd or this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to take the first step, the first step on a journey of getting to know God, getting to know the Father. Maybe you're here this morning and you once pursued Him. You once had a relationship with Him, but it's fallen by the wayside and and you need a fresh start. If you want to take this first step or need this fresh start, I want to invite you to just raise your hand in this moment. God's not looking down on you, shaking his head. But there's love in his eyes, yearning for a relationship. Maybe you identify yourself this morning as someone who who has been chasing the blessing. Chasing the blessing, going from blessing to to another, going from prayer line to prayer line, 
maybe your gratitude is circumstantial. The focus of your prayer list is about your wants and your desires and your needs. Maybe you ride the relationship with God roller coaster that just goes up and down, up and down. Maybe your motives haven't been right. But there's no condemnation. And it's never too late to reorient, to reorientate, to refocus in on what truly matters. Jesus. Jesus first. Jesus first. Father, I thank you for each person who is here this morning. Father, I thank you that your heart is not to condemn. It's not to bring down judgment. But Father, you're a restorer. God, I thank you that you're the God of the second chance. You're the God of the third chance. You're the God of the 50th chance of the 500th chance. Father, I pray that you would help us to shift our focus from the blessing, from your hands, and for us to put our focus on your face, who you are, who you are. Father, I pray, earnestly pray that you would give each one of us a fresh revelation of the cross what you did for us, what what you accomplished, what you went through, that, Father, we would view every situation, every circumstance through the lens of the cross. In Jesus' name.